A couple of weeks ago, we investigated together what the Bible says about this issue of abortion. And one of the things that we noted is that God places extreme high value on human life. And in fact, God created human life to flourish within the setting of the home. And so we talked about how the home should be a place and where life is welcomed and life is nurtured. And it, in fact, when we put the proper perspective on the home that we ought to, we are actually working against this mentality that leads to the abortion of life. And so this morning, I want to continue to talk with you about the family. We're all a part of one, aren't we? Every one of us are a part of a family of some sort. It affects our lives in a big way. Sometimes family can be a foretaste of what heaven's supposed to be. But when family goes wrong, it becomes one of the most stressful places that we can exist. Family can be heaven-like or it can be hellish. And the difference between those two is often heard in the way that we speak. The way that we talk in our homes is very important to God. In fact, did you know that five of the Ten Commandments have something to do with the home? God takes very seriously how we act in our homes. In fact, the Apostle Peter said, Husbands, if you're not loving your wives the way you ought to, then it is hindering your prayers. The Apostle Paul told wives that the way that they love their husbands and their children determine whether or not God is blasphemed or whether God is praised. The Apostle Paul told children that the way that they behave towards their parents determines there's something with their relationship with God. And so God takes very seriously how we interact with those who are most intimate to us. And since this family environment is some of the most influential relationships in our lives, I think we ought to spend a little time thinking about how we interact with them. Because while they are influential and sometimes blissful, they are oftentimes painful. And one of the things that can drain the pain out of our family relationships and bring them closer to the purposes of heaven is to think a little bit about how we talk to one another in the family. Now you might say, Tim, Jesus said that it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. So really we ought to be dealing with the heart. We ought to be talking about things like love and compassion and kindness and forgiveness. Things like justice and truth. And that's right. But the Bible also emphasizes the importance of our words. It says that we will be judged for the words that we use. James says that our words are like the rudder of a ship or like the bit in a horse's mouth. They determine the direction of our lives. And if that's the case, then I think we need to spend a little time thinking about the words that we use in our homes. They, they form the direction that our homes go. And so this morning... We're going to begin by looking at a couple of harmful uh, examples of communication in our home, and then we'll look at some helpful communication that belongs in our home. And these are, let's begin with some 
common barriers to good communication in the home. What we're going to call harmful family communication. And I'll simply say I love what Parker did here. He liked that turning the, the house upside down. That's what harmful communication does in a family. It turns things upside down. And one of the worst forms of communication is no communication at all. When we are not communicating to one another when we should and how we should in the home, it can be destructive. The silent, um, isolated husband who doesn't talk to his wife is destroying a relationship. That teenager who goes and isolates themselves in their room is setting themselves up for problems. When we do not communicate properly in the home, we are actually destroying the threads that are intended to bind the family together. And there are so many examples of this in the Bible, but the one that's most striking to me is the example in the family of David. David was a great king. He was a great poet. And we sing his songs and we get closer to God. But one of the things that David wasn't very good at is his example as a father. And we see this in the sense that David seems to be clueless about the things that are often going on in his home. He had a son by the name of Amnon who had a problem with lust. And everybody seems to know it, except for David. And Amnon has a lustful desire for his own half-sister, Tamar. And because David is ignorant of this, he actually sends Tamar to Amnon's room, where Amnon then rapes her. And the text says that when David learned what Amnon had done to Tamar, he was greatly displeased, no doubt, but he did nothing about it. He said nothing about it. For two years, sin lived in his home, and he said nothing about it. Until another son, Absalom, Tamar's full brother, has had enough of his father's inaction, and he goes and he kills his brother Amnon for what he had done to Tamar. And later, Absalom re rebels against his own father, David, and divides the kingdom. And I want to suggest that one of the things that led to brother hating brother, and brother raping sister, and brother killing brother, and a family being torn apart, was because the family did not communicate with one another. There was not a proper interaction with one or another. A lack of communication is one of the most damaging things in family life. When, when members of the family are acting in sinful ways and there is no discussion and there is no correction, we are just having a ticking time bomb going off in our home and you can hear it go tick, tick, tick. And when it blows up, it won't just hurt the person who's sinning. It will hurt everybody around them. I think Eli Dor Dorman was right when he wrote that the biggest communication killer is unreserved, unresolved conflict. I mean, what happens when you're angry with your husband, your wife, your kids, your aunt, your uncle? It just kills communication, doesn't it? 
when sin is present and we opt for not saying anything and not rocking the boat, we're really just drilling a hole in the bottom of the boat that's going to go down soon. I remember one time I did a funeral for a lady who had placed membership with us, and two weeks after she placed membership with us, she died. And so I didn't know her very well, but the family asked me to do the funeral. And so at the funeral, I got to meet the family. They came from the Midwest. And what I learned was that this older lady who had placed membership with us had become a Christian relatively recently. And as soon as she became a Christian, she started sharing with all of her neighbors and all of her friends and all of her family her newfound love for the Lord and His truth and her hope in Him. And she shared that with them all. And I listened to them say, she told us about the Lord and how we needed to change our lives to walk with the Lord. And we need to go home and do that. And I thought to myself, there was a woman who loved her family. She loved her family because she was willing to communicate to them the things that meant the most to her. I think one of the greatest problems American marriages face is what is sometimes called the passive male. I'm not talking about what you get in your mailbox. I'm talking about the man. The passive male is the one who shirks his responsibility to lead the family spiritually, to do, lead in the family to do what is good for the family. They dump that responsibility often on their wife, and they bury themselves in their job, and they tell themselves that they're being responsible because they are providing financially for the family. Or they drop that responsibility on the wife because they're used to having fun in life, and they like to go do all the fun things that they like to do, and so somebody else needs to take the responsibility for leading in the home. What ends up happening is that the husband separates himself, the communication begins to disintegrate, and the home begins to fall apart. Fa homes don't get stronger when we are passive. When we're passive about our responsibilities or we are passive about our problems, when there is a lack of good communication in the home, the home will be falling apart. Now, what that means is that we need to be open to hearing one another. We need to have the home be a safe place where people can deal with problems and where people can meet their responsibilities without tons of criticism. But one of the first ways that we have a lack, uh, we have poor communication in the home is not having communication in the home. But another thing we need to think about is that Communication in the home can go wrong when it becomes abusive with anger. And nobody's got the corner on this. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman or whether you're a parent or a child, whether you're a grandparent or grandchild, everybody has this problem with anger. And when anger is, becomes abusive, it becomes something destructive to the home. Let me read a few Proverbs to you. Proverbs 30 and verse 33. For the churning of milk produces butter, and the pressing of the no nose brings forth blood. So the churning of anger produces strife. 
There's people that just like to keep things stirred up. And he says, if you use your anger to keep things stirred up, you are ruining the home. On a positive note, Proverbs 16 and verse 32, listen, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. In other words, whether we're talking about a family or a city, somebody who has learned to control their anger is somebody who is very mighty, somebody who is able to bring a great blessing to their environment. Now, the Apostle Paul specifically, men, addresses this to fathers. In Ephesians chapter 6, he says, Fathers, you need to be careful about your anger. In Ephesians chapter 6, he writes in verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Provoke, your provoking, causing their prov- provocative behavior, their anger. In other words, angry men tend to make angry children, is what he is saying. And so parents can easily do this. Parents can easily misuse their position to abuse their children. They do this by not making allowances for children to be children, to realize that they are people in progress. Solomon said that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. You ought to expect it. It's there. And because it's there, it is not something that simply deserves your selfish anger, but something that deserves your careful instruction and training. But I think that one of the ways that children are learning to be angry in our families in this culture is through just giving them everything that they want. Here, Paul says that we are to train children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. When children have no restraint and no direction, children are going to be selfish, and they're going to want everything they want. Why do we have so many angry children in our world today? It's because we have parents that are not, that they are... Putting, making an environment to make children angry, either by their own anger or by their own permissiveness. But of course, it's not just fathers that have this problem. So do wives and children have a problem with anger. Uh, often in the Proverbs, Solomon talked about wives who lost control of their anger. For example, in Proverbs 27 and verse 15, He says, a quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. I'm sure his wives felt that way about him at times as well. But it's just just bringing irritation in the home when a wife is characterized by being quarrelsome. Children in the home that are not controlling their anger can destroy the pleasantness of a home. The Proverbs talk about this often. Here's one of my favorite. Proverbs 30 and verse 17. Proverbs 30, 17. The eye that mocks a father, that scorns obedience to a mother, will be pecked out by the ravens of the valley and will be eaten by the vultures. What do ravens and vultures eat? They eat dead things. That's what they eat. And what Solomon is saying is that when children are angry at their parents, they are inviting death into their lives and into 
the family situation. And so one of the things we need to learn to control is anger. And this is a difficult one because we get angry because we don't feel like people are respecting us. We don't feel like people are seeing us. We don't feel like we're on the same page. And all of that takes a lot of communication to deal with. But as soon as we let anger become selfish and uncontrolled, then communication breaks down. I like how one author put it, families that are herded, herded by an angry cowboy usually create stampedes. So when you're herding a bunch of, of your kids because you're angry, you're probably going to create a stampede. Well, I thought that worked well in Texas. Number three, here's another barrier to good communication in the home, and that is when we're inconsistent with our communication. You know, hypocrisy is damaging in the home. And it's in the home where hypocrisy is most clearly seen. We just can't hide who we really are at home because everyone sees us. I remember listening to a daughter of a very well-known preacher talk about the time her dad retired from full-time preaching. And they had a party over at their house and people, a bunch of people came over to the house uh, to talk to him on the point of his retirement and she said that her and her sisters sat there and watched their dad interact with everybody who came in and they saw the joy on his face and the love that he had for all of these people who were coming in and afterwards they said to themselves oh I wish that he would have looked at us like that when we were growing up it would have made all the difference See, children can see our hypocrisy, and it hurts them. And so we say to our children, children, live moral lives. And then we invite into our house through our TV and through our movies all kinds of immoral things. Hypocrisy. We expect our children to value the Lord and to love His people. And we just let the littlest things keep us from the assembly of the saints hypocrisy. We want our children to be good servants of God and to serve His cause and to reach the lost with the gospel. And we don't do any of that ourselves. And it's hypocrisy. And we want our children to know the Lord and to know His Word, but we don't open our Bibles at the house. And it's inconsistent hypocrisy. It's even found in marriages that are often damaged by us making promises to one another that we never fulfill. This inconsistent communication tears down trust and it really keeps us from being the best that God wants us to be. Inconsistent in our homes is one of the most damaging forms of family communication. And might I add, it's also damaging to the family of God as well. But then, fourthly, I just want to throw this one in because I think it may be reflective of why we don't communicate as we ought to. And that is when we make ourselves unapproachable with concerns. Now, I know why we do this. 
We don't like people to come to us with their concerns. That's burdensome. That's a problem. I want you to keep yours, and I'll, I'll just do my thing, and it won't, be, it won't be a burden to me. Oh, we're just setting ourselves up for problems when we don't have an ear that's willing in love to hear those who come to us. There was a man like this in the Bible. His name was Nabal. Nabal was a man who had achieved some level of success in life. He had a lot of money. He had a lot of position and privilege. And he had made his name on the keeping of sheep. David had, out of the kindness of his heart, helped protect some of those sheep. And so David thought, well, I'll go ask Nabal if he could give me some food for all the good I've done to him. And when Nabal sees David come, he says, who are you? Get out of here. I don't want anything to do with you. This makes David angry. He goes and tells his men, let's strap on our swords and let's go take off the head of Nabal and his whole family. A little bit of an overreaction on David's part. But here's the point. When the servants learn of David's plot, they don't go talk to Nabal. They go talk to Nabal's wife, Abigail. And the reason why? They say to Abigail, nobody can talk to that man. Nobody can talk to that man. And because he was unapproachable with problems, it was about to kill his whole family. If you're one of those folks that just nobody can talk to because they know you're going to lose self-control, they don't want to bring you concerns because it's not going to go well. That's not going to help communication grow in the family that it, that it ought, in the way that it ought to. And by the way, Nabal's name means fool, so don't be a fool. Listen, be willing to be approachable with concerns. Well, that's just a short list. And what I hope that this has done, and what I've done is I've looked through some of the most common forms of harmful communication in the home and looked at some of those. But I imagine in your own mind, you've got you going saying, well, wow, I've got to work on this, or I've got to do something on that. That's great. But now let's flip and talk about some of the good communication that we can bring into our house. And we're going to turn the house right side upward, aren't we? And when you got helpful communication in the home, one of the things we as Christians can do, it's unique to us as believers, is we can bring the Lord into our home. And may I encourage us to find times this week in which we bring the Lord into our home. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses gives the Ten Commandments in chapter 5. But then in chapter 6, he says... Now, when you're at your home and you wake up in the morning and when you take a walk and when you come home at night and when you look at your door and you look at your wall and you look at the gates of your, of your city, what you need to see is you need to see the word of the Lord everywhere. And you need to be sharing that with your children wherever you're at. Now, notice the, the progression here. Here's God's word. Take it home with you and share it with your family. That's the progression. That's the same progression we see in Ephesians chapter 6 in verse 4 where Paul tells fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but do what? Fathers, teach them, train them, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. 
The home is to be a place where life is to be valued and nurtured and flourishing. And how does that happen? When God's word fills our home. Now, when it comes to this, this is something we as believers have a unique responsibility. And I'm very thankful that here at Castlebury, we've got a great Bible class program. We've got great material. We've got wonderful teachers that give a lot of effort uh, to their teaching. And God bless you to keep doing it. But may we remember as families that God has placed the responsibility of teaching children the ways of the Lord with moms and dads and with grandmothers and granddads like Lois and Eunice. That was a granddad. That was just his mother and a grandmother. That he has given it to the family to teach children the ways of the Lord. And so we need to look for times in which we can bring the Lord into our homes. Uh, how often during the week do we talk about the Lord in some way? In what way do we express the character of the Lord to one another? One of the best things we can do in our homes is be quick to forgive and to extend grace. The, the home needs to be a place if good communication occurs where grace is extended and grace is received. Perhaps we can bring the word of the Lord into our home by the hymns that we sing. I know that growing up, my dad, he, he has passed away now, but he wasn't the best singer in the world. But I learned a lot of hymns by just listening to him sing around the house. And I knew it was a bad day when he started singing uh, uh, this world's not my home. I'm just passing through. I knew that was a day that uh, Dad was reminding himself where it's going. And as we're bringing the Lord into our home, could we help encourage one another to fulfill the Lord's purposes in our life? In Ephesians chapter 5, when it talks about husbands and wives' relationship, it talks about how Christ has this relationship with the church like a husband has a relationship with his wife. And what uh, Christ wants the church to be is to be holy and without blemish and to be reaching her full potential that Christ has saved her to reach. Wow, what a great thing for us to do as husbands. To know that in our relationship with our wife, we can be encouraging them and strengthening them to reach the full potential that they could reach in the kingdom of heaven. And of course, this can be done wonderfully as children when I was a very young man, probably because I was a poor reader, maybe because of other reasons than that, my parents asked me to read the book of Jeremiah. Fifty chapters. Fifty-two. Fifty-two. Help me out, guys. Fifty-two. It's one of those. A, a long book. And I remember finishing reading it and running into my mom and dad and saying, I read the whole thing. And I shared with them all the, the stories that I learned there. And I learned the reason they did it. They said, Tim, we think that maybe you could be a Jeremiah. We think maybe you can have the courage to stand for the Lord at school where not everybody stands for the Lord. We think maybe you could be the person who could share the truth of the Lord in a culture that doesn't like to listen to it. Maybe you could be a Jeremiah. I tell you, that inspired me because they brought the Lord into the home. 
you know, in the Old Testament, they often named their children names that spoke of what they wanted them to do. And they did not name their children Money Man or Celebrity or YouTube Star. They didn't name their children Pretty Boy or Beautiful Girl. They named their children Isaiah, God is my salvation. Joel, Yahweh is my God. Zechariah, remember the Lord God. They named their children what they really wanted them to be. And in our homes, we're constantly telling our children things like, we really want you to grow uh, in your knowledge and be intellectual. We want you to grow in your physical prowess and be great in sports. And we want you to really grow in your social abilities where you become a leader among your friends. And we're shocked that at some point they leave the Lord. Well, really, they weren't ever pointed there. So one of the best things that we can do in our families is to talk about our spiritual values and then bring prayer into the home, to use our words to pray for God, for God to be with us in our homes, our families. You remember Hannah? She wanted a boy. Boy, she's kind of a, a great example for all of us. She, she wanted a child, and so she prayed to God for the child, and he, she said, if you give me a child, I will give him to you. It's a great example for every parent. And she did, and that child ended up serving in the tabernacle, then ended up anointing the kings of Israel, and we have two books in our Bibles that have his name on it. Because a mama cared enough to pray for her child. And I hate to throw out another example of my life, but I'll just say I'm going to give it to you because it was meaningful to me. I was in junior high, and I was sitting in my little twin bed about to go to bed at night. And my mom came in, and we were talking about prayer. And she said, I want you to know that your, your father and I have prayed for you even before you were born. And we want you to know that we want you to walk with the Lord your whole life. And you've been an answer to prayer for us. And that made a big impact on me. And when it comes to family life, who can do it alone? If we're not in family made aware of how weak and needy we are, where else can we see that? And we ought to invite the Lord into our family through prayer. And I'll just close with this positive statement about communication in the home, and that is to take every opportunity we have to praise one another. Words like thank you and please and good job and I love you are words that create mortar that keeps a home together. One of the most distasteful things and destructive things is to start tearing your husband and your wife down in front of others or to belittle your children in public. Those activities break trust. They create bitterness. Instead, we ought to look for opportunities to praise one another and let it begin, let it begin between a husband and a wife. Husbands, wives, when's the last time you praised your spouse? There's an entire book in the Bible devoted to how to do that. Song of Solomon. 
where there's this one unending poem, it seems to be, that says, you're my beloved, and you mean the world to me. The Bible says that children are a heritage from the Lord. Do your children, in the way that you hear them talk about them, do they get the idea that you're, they're a treasure that God has given you? Or, in the way that you talk about your children, do they get the idea that you just can't wait to get away from them? Mm. Let praise be found in our home. In the book of John, the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John begins with a description of Jesus Christ. It's a unique description. In verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, we learn later on in the, ver in the chapter that the Word is actually Jesus. But how He is described is He is the Word. He is communication from God. What we see in the biblical story is that God changes things by words that are spoken. In Genesis 1, God speaks and life comes into being because of words spoken. And in the gospel, the word speaks again. This time through Jesus Christ in the flesh and the gospel he came to speak and to live is a gospel that creates real life, eternal life, uncorrupted by sin and death, and it all because God cared enough to communicate to us. Oh, go to the nth degree to communicate to us at the great sacrifice of himself to say to us, I love you, and I want you to be in my family. And so, in verse 12, the text says, to all who received him and believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. God made us family by how he talked. And we become a family in which life is welcomed in our home and thrives in our home when we use our words for God's purposes. And it reflects the very thing that he did for us. And if you're here this morning and you're not a part of the family of God, he has asked you, he's invited you to come and become his child. Put your faith in Jesus Christ, repent of your sins, and put on Jesus Christ in baptism this morning. We invite you to come as we stand and sing.